This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two fantastic human beings, Brian Murray. Hello. And Kate Scotchless. Hello. So happy that you're both here with me this week, because we are talking about a fantastic book that we picked for our Goodreads group. But before we get to all that, let me ask you the question I ask every single week. How have you been? And how have comic books been? I've been pretty good. Um, Comic books have been... A lot of graphic novels and trades because I did that thing several weeks ago where you sit on your computer and request stuff from the library and then inevitably it all comes in at the same time. Oh, good. So yeah, I read two books by Tom Gauld. Um, One of them is a collection of his comics for The Guardian that's called You're All Just Jealous of My Jetpack. And some of them are completely (laughs) hilarious and some of them are okay. But I really enjoyed that. The DC character Guardian or somebody else? No, 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 the, the British um, paper, The Guardian. Oh, 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 okay, got it. And then he also has an OGN, um, Moon Cap, which I can't recommend enough. It is very funny, it is very dark humor, uh, very dry, but it is beautiful. It kind of, they kind of look like wood cuttings, that kind of like, oh, it, it's beautiful, like, it's very nice. Um, the I mean, other, you had me at Moon Cap. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, That's it's exactly about this guy who's you know stationed there to be the cop on the moon but the moon was like a fad and it's dying and it's over and so everyone's moving away and so it's about him like trying to patrol this thing where there's like barely anyone there anymore um <laughs> it's oh it's awesome it's so like it's depressing and funny at the same time okay so you've basically sold me and i have to check this out i you think must. brian and i are gonna have our own little book club and it's gonna be just this book <laughs> Highly recommend. I read Death of X number four and Civil War number seven. And then my big thing that I read and wanted to talk a little more about was Black Panther, A Nation Under Our Feet, volume one. So this is the most recent Black Panther trade to come out, I do believe, unless they just came out with volume two. But I think they're still finishing that arc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's with the writer Tennessee Coates, which is why I was interested in the first place. I'd never read any Black Panther before, but I liked his prose work. And yeah. it's artist Brian Stillfries with colors by Laura Martin, whose colors are always on par- uh, perfect. Um, I found the story a bit difficult to follow, um, especially action sequences, because of Stillfries's art. He's really good with static scenes, but he's not great at showing movement especially in groups and so when there's big flurries of you know either fighting or other types of you know lots of people moving all at once in a scene it's hard to figure out what's going on and then you end up you know essentially being told by the text later which isn't how you know ideal for a comic sure and then Coates is definitely he reads like someone who just came from prose and so it's very text heavy and has a lot of telling instead of showing like stuff that ends up in the text boxes or dialogue that really in in good comic form would end up being shown through the art usually right um and it tends to slow down the book at times um but I really like the story overall like he te- it's a good story he's telling and so I'm looking forward to the f- second volume to see kind of how he evolves. I'm thinking like a lot of people who are good writers like this that come into it, he's going to get better and better at the comic form. And so I look forward to watching him progress. Oh, see, I didn't even know this volume was out. I'm definitely, definitely going to have to pick it up and read it. I, I feel like such a jerk. I was like really excited for this comic and then I just lost <laughs> track of it. But now that the, if it's coming out in volumes, I, I might just have to... Yeah, in. they're small. Each arc is four issues, so they're the the volumes themselves aren't that expensive for, compared to some other Marvel trades. I think it's like sixteen bucks, but my library had it, so that was awesome. Oh, very nice, yeah. very nice. And then it's you know like they always pad those four issue kind of things where you have like the first appearance issue at the back or whatever. I don't yeah. usually read those, but um, it had one of those. So very cool, Brian. How about you? What have you been reading? How you been? All that jazz. Uh, you know, I've been good. Just trying to survive this frigid Michigan winter <laughs> that, that, <laughs> we, that we have not been having. It's been actually quite warm, but it is finally snowing today, so I can really start getting my Grinch on any day now. <laughs> as um, if you weren't already. <laughs> as if I wasn't already Grinching hardcore. Right. I'm the Grinchest, man. <laughs> but no, uh, I've been, I have not been a very good com- comic book nerd. Over the past few weeks, um, 
I've mostly been watching the newsroom, or excuse me, uh, the West Wing, because okay, I love mm-hmm. me some Aaron Sorkin dialogue, man. Always. Right, right. If if Aaron Sorkin could write the dialogue for my life, that would be awesome. Except that <laughs> so many people would be brutally insulting me all the time. You'd be so witty, though, Brian. Um, I was gonna say I'm already witty, but I'm not Aaron Sorkin witty. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> You're also uh, not Aaron Sorkin level addicted to heroin, so that's good. <laughs> uh, fair oh, point. Yeah. Not, yeah. not much heroin going on in my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, as far as what I read, I had, the only thing that I really picked up and dug into was the Green Lantern Blackest Night train from back in 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. Yeah, how Old did school, you end up man. coming through that across that? It's one of those things that... I always wanted to check out because I love the idea of the different lantern cores and mm-hmm. them each using different emotions to power their rings and whatnot. Right. And so I thought that, you know, because this, this arc brings them all together, I thought it might be a good place to kind of take a look and see how that really worked out. Uh, I was not totally correct because, I don't know, maybe if I had been reading Green Lantern when this came out, it would have been fine. But it seemed like Jeff Johns just really, like, leapt in to this arc and then jumped back out of it as soon as it was ending. I don't know. The whole thing felt super rushed to me. Interesting. Um, I don't know know how many single issues made up this run, but I'd be very surprised if that had been more than, like, five or six issues. And... This seems like the kind of thing that would have been great in an ongoing comic mm-hmm. where we had time to really like get to know characters from the different uh, Lantern cores. And again, I'm sure that if I'd been reading Green Lantern for a long time, I would have come in and known like, okay, well, these are those Star Sapphires and I, I know what Larflees' deal is and whatnot. But <laughs> So is this an event book then? That was my understanding. Okay. Um, it, it actually happened before I really got into comics. Or, like, right around the same time I was getting into comics. Which is probably another reason I wanted to read it so badly. Was that I always remember hearing about it, but never actually reading it. Yeah. It was a huge deal. I, I remember it. Yeah, and it's the introduction of the White Lantern. Mm-hmm. Good old White Ranger showing up. I mean, White 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 Lantern. Ha ha. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you gotta at least admit that you know going from Green Lantern to White Lantern is very similar to the Power Rangers. If you, it totally is. If, yeah. Okay. Maybe. I, yeah. I but, hadn't thought about that, some... but thank you for drawing that parallel. That's... Yeah. <laughs> so overall, what were your what was your takeaway? Do you think you'll want to read more Green Lantern because of this, or did this like put you off completely? Uh, I, it didn't really change where I stand at all. You know, honestly, I, okay. I'm still a fan of the idea of the different Lantern Corps, and, you know, like, I really enjoyed the, uh, how, what was it, uh, First Flight? Was that the, the TV show that was coming out for a while? Might have been. I, I haven't followed the animated stuff. They did an animated Green Lantern series probably five or six years ago. Eh, if even that long. I think it was more recent than that. But, I mean, that was really good, and... I'm sure that if they did another Green Lantern like animated movie or something, or if they made a movie of Blackest Night, I would definitely jump in there. But I'm probably not going to spend money getting more Green Lantern books. You just really want gotcha. that Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern over and over forever. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yep. With a, with a belt around my neck. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, how well, about you, Mike? For me, um, yeah, I I've been kind of behind on comics. I've had just a crazy busy week, but over Thanksgiving, I did manage to sit down and read a bunch of books, um, or at least a couple runs. So I read uh, King's Watch, which was a it's a dynamite book about Flash Gordon and Mandrake the Magician, and uh, oh my goodness, who's the other guy? Uh, Nick's gonna be so the Phantom. Uh, Nick's gonna be so <laughs> mad at me about this. He recommended this book wholeheartedly, and I said, "Sure, I'll try it." It's a kind of a strange book. I don't really get into those pulpy characters. Um, ultimately, I kind of liked it. I thought it was a very fun, like just standard action adventure comic book, and uh, 
didn't have any connection to it, so it was interesting to be like a newbie to something like that. I have no history with any of those characters, so um, I liked it. I bought the subsequent series, King's Quest. Um, supposedly some other things happened between those two books, but I'm just going to dive into King's Quest, so I mean, look forward to that in the future. Uh, I read The Paybacks and Paybacks, which are two separate series published by the same creative teams, Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw, um, and Elliot Ro- uh, Elliot something whose name I, is is totally escaping me right now. Uh, those three guys, they did a book at Dark Horse. It ca- canceled at issue four, so they moved it over to uh, Heavy Metal to finish the story. So two four-issue arcs of the same storyline that essentially round out this really interesting story. And I've talked about the paybacks a bunch, but I decided to reread the entire run. Um, ultimately, was kind of confused slash upset slash bothered I don't know what you want to call it about the ending because it turned out to be this big homage but I won't spoil it I think you should still read it it's a very fun book um, those guys know how to how to write a good action comedy book and I think that that's a very challenging hard line to walk and they managed to do it with this series and their other book that they did Buzzkill uh, I read <laughs> IVX number one because or number zero because I hate myself this is Inhumans versus X-Men Oh, I truly hate myself. Mike, uh, I, I swear we talked about this. I I hate myself. That's all I can say. This is a book that follows up immediately to Death of X. So if you read Death of X and you want to know where the story goes after that, IVX is the next thing. And oh, it just it just hurts my brain thinking about this book. Because this is a number zero leading up to the actual story of number one. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, number zero takes place immediately after a uh, death of X. And I don't know if number one takes place in the present time or what, but the, the teaser at the end was look forward to what's going to happen. What happened in those eight months that we've all been asking about in IVS yeah. number one. So, ugh. wait, I thought death of X was the events. We, like, Oh no. In that whole gap. That was just the beginning. Kate, they're oh, milking God. this. They're oh, milking God. this. No, I can't keep going. Did you hear that? They Marvel's shipping out like twice. If you, if a shop ordered, um, you know, 20 books, they're sending them 40. Um, because they didn't, they think shops are massively under ordering it and they want people to start the series kind of thing. I did not hear that. It was uh, on bleeding cool. So grain of salt, but sure. that is what I, what I read. Wow. Uh, that they were essentially sending retailers twice as many as they ordered without like charging them more money because they're thinking that they'll yeah that's that's bizarro i yeah. this book was so weird i just i don't know how to feel about it this is this is how i feel about the x-men right now i don't know what to think anymore i want to keep loving these books and yet i am so just frustrated by them and i don't know why i was reading a really interesting article about this and i, I don't mean to blather on because i do have like two more things i want to talk about but this the, the X-Men fan base is such a terrible salty mess that like no one is ever pleased <laughs> like you can only ever please 5% of these people at a time because the the the, the interests and the expect, expectations of these characters are so wildly different because they've been so wildly different over the years characters get written in different ways and then directions go and we rehash or we try to do something new and it feels like a rehash and it's it's so frustrating. IVX is a definite ripoff of AVX, the event that they did like five years ago. <laughs> but but it's completely different because I don't think this one is going to include the entire Marvel Universe. It's just going to be Inhumans and X-Men. They're just but shoving because, Inhumans down your throat. Yeah, they're just, I don't know. So I'm reading this because I hate myself. That's what it comes yeah. down to. I'm, they're I'm still trying to make fetch shame. happen. Yes. <laughs> so hard. Anyways, so I also read Han Solo number five. That was a fitting ending for a very to a very fun Star Wars book. I actually really enjoyed that whole run. Um, and finally, I read Ether number one by Matt Kent and David Rubin. Uh, this is a well. All I can say about this book is I expected it to be deep, gritty, scary sci-fi, and it turned out to be very whimsical and lighthearted. And <laughs> it was a very like it was a very nice sci-fi book. It does all the fun things that sci-fi books do, which puts you in a very interesting universe where you know everything's explained by science magic. But our main character, who should be this gritty, awful person for see- who's seen all these bad things, is very lighthearted and excited. And he kind of reminds me of like Doctor Who, but less goofy and more just like fun. He's like 
He's like huh. Beast from the X-Men meets doc- meets the Doctor, <laughs> if that could ever be a combination. And I really, really enjoyed this book way more than I thought I was going to. So if you're looking for like a, like a happy-go-lucky, not happy-go-lucky, but just like a, a fun adventure sci-fi story, this one totally works. So I'll Sci- totally Sci-fi that's that not completely grimdark. Yeah, in in a world that should be grim, dark, and awful, this book manages to stay lighthearted, and I really enjoyed that. So this is a that's a fun book. Ether number one from Dark Horse. Matt Kent t- hat is tipped. We love you on this show. You do fantastic work. Anyways, let's move on to more exciting things, such as what books are coming out this upcoming week. Comic books are released on December seventh, two thousand sixteen. What are you both excited for, Brian? Uh, for me, it's all about that Wicked and Divine. <laughs> yes. I have ever been a fan of that book. Uh, it's one of the only books where I bought the trade and then went back and got my hands on a copy of the first issue just to have it. Right, and, right. And uh, I am ever excited to see where this book is going to go. Uh, I what ha- did you think of number 23, the, the like magazine spread issue? I haven't read that one yet. Oh, okay, okay. The the last one that I read was the culmination of the arc with um, Ananki or Ananke. Um, okay, so that's where I left off too. That was the last trade. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I have two or three issues now in my my box under my coffee table where all of my comics I still need to read live. <laughs> right. But. I don't know, this this series is so good that even not having read those, I can still be excited about a new issue coming out because I know it's going to be good. I know that this creative team isn't going to spin off into a crazy weird direction that I don't like. Um, they may spin off in a crazy weird direction, <laughs> yeah. but if they do, I'm sure that I'll enjoy where I end up. Gotcha. That's a, that's a good way to summarize that book. I think... I'm I'm in the same in the same line of thought. Like I have my my problems with the book, but I think on the whole, no matter where they go, I usually am feeling it. I understand that there's a bigger picture they're getting to, and I really enjoy it. So, Kate, what about you? I am looking forward this week to Star Wars Doctor Afra number one. Uh, this is the book by yeah Kieran Gillen and Kevin Walker. And it's so it's kind of crazy. This is the first book they've done like single series um, coming out from one of their new characters that they created in the comics since the whole um, Force Awakens stuff. Ooh, so this is, boy. yeah. I, I, have you guys read Darth Vader, the Darth Vader stuff? Uh, not all of it. I think I read through like issue 18 because that's all that oh, was okay. available so you... on Marvel Unlimited at the time. I've only read like the first issue. <laughs> Okay, so Brian knows how badass she is, and She's Mike so is going to cool. get the exciting learning about how badass she is. She's awesome. Um, I have not read all of Darth Vader because I read it from the library, so I'm on like volume two because that's what they have. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so she, she they spun this off into her own thing. It takes um, picks up where Darth Vader number twenty five left off, and so she's on the run uh, from him and from bounty hunters, and. It's going to be awesome. And she has Triple Zero and BT1 with her, um, who her, are her murderous droid equ- equally awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they are the dark um, reflections to C3PO and R2D2. Yes. Oh, and boy. they are so funny. So this should be fun and exciting, and I can't wait. I mean, Gillen never lets us down. Let's be real. He's too obsessed with Star Wars, I think. <laughs> well, no he's too solid thing. a writer to begin with. Like, it feels like whatever he does is great. Yeah, I think he does a good job with properties. But uh, well, for me this week, I am excited for Nailbiter number twenty-seven because I have to pick something that isn't Moon Knight again because I keep <laughs> picking Moon Knight whenever it comes out. So figured I'd change it up a bit. Uh, I really enjoyed number twenty-six, the the quote-unquote Christmas special um, issue with. I mean, the cover had you know our in, the infamous Nailbiter in a you know santa hat with a bag over his shoulder on a roof so it was kind of a fun little and i say fun very very carefully um (laughs) story that it did drive the plot the story itself wasn't actually a christmas special by any means but um it was a very it was a very good issue and it's this book continues to drive the plot and it's it's 
constantly on the verge of, let me tell you the secret behind the Buckaroo Butchers. So if you haven't read any of Nailbiter, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But long and short is there are serial killers that come out of one city in Oregon called Buckaroo, and no one seems to know why. Like the, the 16 biggest fictional serial killers have come out of this city, and no one seems to know why. And so this, co- this city feels cursed, and the people that live in it feel cursed, and they all want to leave, but they all stay for some reason. Um, and the, the most recent butcher, um, as they call all these serial killers, is this one named Nailbiter, and he managed to get off of being, or he, he managed to not get convicted for the murders that he committed. Um, so there's a whole big story point to that, and there was a, somebody who was investigating all of these murders and trying to figure out the origins of all of these serial killers and why they're all coming out of the city. And so this mystery has been afoot for 27 issues, and we've been getting little morsels and character development, and things are crazy, and we're finally building to this moment of like, are we actually going to find out? And we're inching closer like this whole last probably seven or eight issues has been inching ever so close and getting like all of this mystery is culminating because there's a hundred different reasons as to why they could all be considered serial killers or why they all turn into serial killers and we're getting a bunch of contradicting stories so it's, it's a very interesting suspenseful book i love this series I, I can't get enough of it like joshua williamson's writing for me on other books such as i tried birthright i've been reading his flash has been so so but on this book he is like top notch he he must put all of his love into this series because it's like, not an issue goes by where I don't think, wow, the writing was really good. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. And Mike Henderson's art, oh boy, he's he's absolutely astounding. And if you follow him on Twitter, you get to see him just drawing all your favorite characters for fun as quote-unquote warm-ups that are easily, like, full, full-time commissions. And I think you can buy some of them online for, like, 50 or $100 a pop or something. But they're it's gorgeous art, and he does a fantastic job in this book. So Nailbiter, whew really excited i think i'd be a little worried if i went into someone's house and their walls were covered with all this serial killer comic art you know <laughs> like no 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 sorry mm. he, he's not doing serial killer comic art he's doing like you know he did a bunch of star wars stuff before force oh, awakens okay. came out he does various marvel and dc characters it's it's not all serial killer art though it's like that <laughs> friend sure that's a like a little too into dexter and you're like i'm just gonna back away slowly <laughs> right right <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's nothing like that. Nothing like that. <laughs> this book is this book is horrifying. But otherwise, Mike Henderson as an artist, he does fantastic work on top of his serial killer horror book. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, I wanted to let you know. Uh, last week, Volume One of Moon Knight came out, and I picked it up because, besides looking incredible, all all you're going on about it has made me super curious. Yes, good. That is the correct decision <laughs> to make. If you, if you can, I, I'm going to plug Moon Knight here because why not? If you can, go out and buy or rent or borrow someone's copy of Moon Knight Volume 1 because this book will change you. It's, it's, <laughs> it's such a fantastic story. Oh, and Jeff Lemire, he, he's got it. This guy's nailing it. This book is fantastic. I, I can't say enough about it. Yeah, it's, it's funny you break up Moon Knight because Moon Knight and then the Black Panther series that Kate talked about earlier were two of the books where I got the number one. I was like, ah, this is good, but I just don't have the financial backing to pursue it. Right. But now they both have trades. I I get to be super excited to go to the library and hunt for those. Yeah, do it. So this month, our Goodreads group uh, for the I Read Comic Books podcast voted on um, Trees Volume 1. So each month we all nominate titles we'd like to read and then throw them in a poll and vote on it. And uh, Trees beat out everything else. And this is the book by Warren Ellis and artist Jason Howard um, from the publisher Image. And we had a really good discussion about this on the forum and so we're going to talk about this now and also include some of the comments from that were posted on the forum. I do want to throw out there for anyone who's in the group or interested in the group, we're not doing this for the month of December. And we're still doing our group read on this thing, but we won't be recording an episode about it. We'll be back talking about it and including um, group members' comments on the podcast in January. Yeah. So yeah, this- well, were you, you were into this, right, Mike? This was one you voted for? 
Oh yeah, this is when this book got nominated. I was like, I, I've already read this series. I gotta keep up to date with it, even though there hasn't been an issue in a while. But I was like, hell yeah, give me a reason to reread this book and talk to other people about it because I feel like I get I read books like this, and since I'm such a huge Warren Ellis nerd, I get in my head about it. And if anytime I talk to anyone about it, I'm like, they're like, well, you just read too much Warren Ellis. You don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand an outsider's perspective. So I was excited to actually be able to talk to other people about this book. And hear what they thought about it and the the comments were very inspiring like a lot of the people that commented in the forum it was really exciting and i've been like holding all of my thoughts in for <laughs> for for a long time about this book and now i finally get to to tell everybody and talk to people about it <laughs> but uh kate had you read this book before i had not this was on my eternal to read list because i'd heard good things but this gave me the excuse to actually go out and pick it up um and i was really excited when I found it for almost no money used at a um, my shop. They resell graphic novels. And so it was like four bucks. I'm like, dude, this is perfect. Um, yeah. And it's eight issues. Yeah, it's huge. My copy is actually signed by Jason Howard. Oh, wow. I, I picked it up at C2E2 from his booth. Nice. Which, by the way, Jason Howard is probably one of the kindest people in comic books. I just he want to make sure is, that's said. He is a prince among men. He is fantastic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Every every single interaction I've had with him has been 100% honest and pleasant. Just. So what did you like best about this book, Mike? Oh, well, for one, I will say I was reading this book in single issues, and having gone back and reread it as a trade makes way more sense. It, the book reads so much easier and so much better as a trade without the chapter markers, without the wait for a month. The story flows so naturally. There was no need for a stop. Like, I almost wish this came out as, like, three graphic novels because I know this book, being, like, a total Warren Ellis nerd, I know this book is coming out in three arcs, and that's going to be, the hopefully, the whole story. There may be a fourth, who knows? But supposedly it's going to come out in three arcs, and I think that... They should have come out as three graphic novels, but that's a whole other debate. Nonetheless, I loved the the continuity that just that flowed through every single issue. And like if you if you read it as a trade, you feel like the natural back and forth a lot better than month to month. It kind of feels really disjointed um, in single issues, but in the trade, it's it's natural. It's a natural storytelling or way to tell a story. Ah. So I was really blown away by how how well things fit together in the trade. See, I don't I don't yeah. know if I agree with that. Oh really? Because really? yeah. that that was my impression too. I was when I read it, I was read it and thought to myself, just like I do with Wicked and Divine, I don't understand how people can read this month to month. It flows so well, but it's so complex too as a book that I would have such a hard time having months in between reading it. Yeah, no, I mean if I and if I were if I had picked up issue number one at my comic shop, I would not have kept reading this book. Um, oh really? Yeah, because I'm not a huge Warren Ellis fan. He doesn't like. I feel like if if this had been written by somebody other than Warren Ellis, like if it had been some indie creator or some some no name at Marvel or somebody like that, uh, this would not have survived this series. Really? Sure. Yeah. Sure. The the chunk of the trade that I'm assuming because like you said, there were no chapter headers, and I do like that. I do like that there were no mm-hmm. like breaks. But the part that I'm kind of assuming made up the first issue, we got like three or four pages of five or six different like characters and their stories. And none of it made any sense. I was not given any reason to care about these characters. So like, if this hadn't had the Warren Ellis brand stamped on it, I don't think it would have succeeded. I can see what you mean because it's a very slow build. Um, which I thought worked really well. Um, So Kate from the group said on our forum that the book did it very well at affecting the readers in the same way the trees affect the characters, slowly, almost imperceptibly, and then all at once. And that is so well put. (laughs) Yes, that's so almost poetic. That's fantastic. Yeah, because it's this very gradual building of tension and building of you slowly grow more and more attached to these characters. And I see what you mean, Brian, because it's so slow that if you had chunked it into like Dutch, that first issue, you'd be like barely anything happened, if at all, and you barely know anything about these people. Um, But then it's this really slow building of tension and then essentially an explosion of action. Um, 
So I will throw out there right now, listeners, that if you haven't read this, this is going to be a full spoiler uh, discussion. So oh, yeah. definitely... <laughs> Should have prefaced it with that, yeah. Yeah, we haven't haven't spoiled anything right now, but we're about to um, go into it. And so then definitely come back after you've read it and see if you agree with what we have to say. Oh, I thought you were going directly into some spoilers there. Uh- <laughs> so it, we have the slow building of the trees at throughout... Um, the book, right? These supernatural, not supernatural, like s- spaceships, right? Basically, they're alien well, crafts. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't really even know. know. Yeah. And there's different theories about them put forth by different people throughout the world. But the big thing is they're everywhere. This is really global, right? And then at the end, they finally all start doing stuff. Doing stuff. What, what well, do you, what not, would you call it? Like, doing, no, I. I don't think that they all started doing stuff. I think the one tree started doing something. Like the one tree at the end in, I think it was Antarctica, that was the only tree that actually did something. Or was that, a, I actually don't no, know it's, where that it's definitely place not Antarctica, was. Because there are polar bears there, and polar bears live in okay, the Arctic. Okay, <laughs> okay so that one's well, doing the idiot. stuff, <laughs> the flowers. But then there's big explosions of action, I guess you would say, around the others. Because the one in the desert has though essentially war is uh, used as an invasion platform of its the, the neighboring the in, country. In Somalia? Yeah. yeah. And then the other one um, in China, they're just like bomb the crap out of the people around it um, and kill off my favorite character because everything you love needs to die, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. dig into that later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. But and 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 then the the tree in the north the North Pole or the Arctic, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we've decided. Um, I mean that one actually does something. Of all of them, like we early on in the story, you know, we see a tree release some sort of ooze that just like kills everyone around it. Yeah, it's like a waste and, dump or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of some or at least that's what they call it, and that's why like the people in New York were concerned. And that little storyline does not even play out at all. We get like. Nope. A piece, and then we get another piece, and we that's like it. a frame of it at the end when everything's going to shit. Yeah, yeah. that it's dumping and so, like, again. The people in New York are like, "Well, if this happens in New York, like the whole lower side of Manhattan is going to be destroyed." And the mayor, this this guy who's running for mayor, I guess he says, "You know, I'm not worried about it. Don't worry about it." Um, and then, of course, <laughs> all the all the action builds and throughout the story. Um, at the beginning, from the beginning, and then we see this everything climax in in what I thought was like a very beautiful parallel way of telling the story of saying like look at all of these different storylines climaxing at the same time. Right. I thought that was wonderful. Um, and so when it actually happens, I, I think that was like a fitting ending to to say like this is the type of story we're going to tell in the first arc, and then the subsequent stories are probably they're going to be the same or they're going to you know jump off of this this massive change because like one thing that i took away from the whole story is that you know the the ultimate decision that all of the all the various stories say is that the trees don't care what we're doing so we should just continue to live our lives and do what we want to do to our advantage and use the trees as we see fit yeah and each of i think in each of the storylines they all did that you know in in greece uh, or was it italy italy um they talked about greece a lot but it was said in italy yeah, so in Italy, you know, they, they say, well, we need to, you know, take control of things, and we're going to take control of things, and we've got our main character, or the character there, she ends up saying, well, you know what, if, if nothing's going to happen, then I'm going to do something. You know, we've got our character in China, and he says, you know, I have to live my life, and this tree is giving me the opportunity to do so, so I might as well do that. And of course, he, everyone meets like this awful end, and in, and in Somalia, you know, the, the dictator, this quote-unquote beggar president, uh, Decides, you know, I'm going to use this tree to my advantage. If the trees aren't going to do anything, then I'm going to use the trees. Right. That's so. I I love that. Yeah, I loved. So it's this subtle, slowly building pressure and tension. But the threat isn't from the trees themselves. It's from the people living in their shadows. And from this breakdown in social structure around them that happens when the people who can move out. And so you're left with um, the more disadvantaged people or people who are kind of collecting around them like um, the artistic community you see in one of them and the transgender community. And so then there's this resulting struggles for power that are essentially happen in this power vacuum. Um, So people trying to take over. But part of it I got, at least for me, I got the sense the way you do in a revival where this, this event is used to essentially as a pressure cooker for what people are already like. And it kind of causes people's um, 
inner, I guess, personalities and um, desires to be kind of amplified and puts, you know, pressure on them until they kind of explode and do stuff. It's the idea of like, uh, I can't remember who the philosopher was, but the idea of like the natural state versus Mm -hmm. uh, the social contract. Like Mm -hmm. the social contract is decaying. And so people are diverting back to their, do I, you know, fight it or fuck it? Like, yeah, yeah. And I think there was almost meta commentary on that from the professor in Italy. Yes. And he kind of, he discussed a lot of that with, with, uh, yeah, he, <laughs> what a, he was such a weirdo character. Like I almost, I really just didn't like him. I felt like he, he needed to tell us a bunch of the, what the book was about. Like he was used to speak to the reader about like explaining oh, yeah. the book essentially. To- oh, totally. I, I was making like a dismissive jerk off motion through <laughs> like, oh yeah, probably a good quarter of this book. But mostly Aww. just through his pages. Yeah, I yeah, wasn't as fond yeah, of that storyline. Yeah, I think yeah, that to me, yeah, I totally agree. That was definitely like the, it was the most meta commentary and the least interesting story storyline. I think the most interesting storyline for me was the scientist in the flowers, and the fact that he was you know hiding all of these findings and like not telling anybody what was happening. They all could have died because he was so like in his own head about what the, what the trees were doing and he had made this massive discovery and he mm-hmm. didn't tell anyone about it like like it just it it blew my, it blows my mind that like you know this is this is like your classic like it reminds me of the thing or it reminds me of those like weird scientific horror-ish stories where somebody knows something and they aren't telling anybody and it puts the entire other group in danger all the time and i think that that played off well in this book because he was he's now the only person that really knows what these trees are trying to do and yet the world need and the world needs to know that and yet no one is telling them yeah it's it's, I, it's it's a it's a wonderful trope to play on i think the the flowers were also my favorite part i felt the art style and coloring was perfect for the tone of the story throughout the book um but the set the artwork set in the arctic was hands down the most breathtaking it really cultivated a feeling of desolation and suffocating oppression at the same time which oh, isn't totally. easy and then out of that pressure cooker of an environment, we get these really beautifully haunting black flowers. And I don't think they would have been nearly as foreboding if they hadn't appeared in one of the, if they had appeared in one of the other locations, even the desert where they'd be equally unlikely to grow. Because the tundra is this blank white, you know, space. And we have these, the black against that. And it's so striking and beautiful. And yet, scary at the same time and then of course they turn out to be really malicious right yeah Um, yeah i mean there there are a lot of of really good art beats in this book which as Mm -hmm. you can expect from any jason howard book um, totally but i mean the the one that really stood out to me was uh one of the scenes in china where Mm -hmm. uh um it's the one where chung lei i think i'm pronouncing that more or less correctly uh the the male protagonist in china is watching jen go off to talk to their friends for a second there Mm -hmm. and there's one panel where it shows him like set against this backdrop of the city so you can see you know like a shop in the background and people and the city life moving around the next panel below that he's closed his eyes and the whole thing has gone like blurry and fisheye so oh, it's all wasn't like that wonderful? sketched, yeah. And that like that gave me such a strong impression of like what's going on in that character's head. Yes, he was my favorite character. Yeah, hands down. Yeah, I I, I honestly think that some of the best scenes in the book, um, and as far as art goes, happened in in the in the the Chinese city, if only because. Like there, it showed so much congestion, like in the art by itself. Like they yes. never really talk about like how congested it seemed, and yet every single panel where they're walking through the city, it just everything is towering, and there's so much going on in the background. It's almost overwhelming. It's very you busy. almost lose the characters, and and that's a, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like you know the characters are there, but the art in the background is still just as striking as they are, and it's because there's so much detail. Every single line that Jason Howard had to draw, like. In the, the the placement of color, like he did such a fantastic job adding detail to this book, and I think in the cityscapes, in, especially, we see that even when he's drawing New York, it wasn't nearly as congested looking as the Chinese city, mm-hmm. and and Shu, I guess, is what it's called. I shouldn't just call it the Chinese city; it's called Shu. 
And in Shu, like there was at least there's a one full like a single page spread that they did of of uh, of our character walking around, and it's like towering. All of the buildings and all of the little shops and everything is just above you, and it's almost like it's closing in on you. And he's just barely making it through the small little line where he could walk. With, yes, and mm-hmm. uh, I blows my mind like i had to like stop and just stare at that page to just take in all of the detail and i have to credit jason howard like he put his whole heart and soul into this book and it totally shows yeah i mean for all the issues that from from my limited exposure all the issues that warren ellis seems to be having in this book with telling instead of showing uh jason howard perfectly counterpoints with yeah his art well, and I think both of them, it's so in some books and movies and TV, when you have different um, storylines throughout the world, it's easy for them to fall into being like, oh, well, this is the, you know, Saudi Arabian flavored st- version of this, essentially the same characters and same story. And here's the Chinese mm-hmm. flavor version of essentially the same. And they did a very good job making them actually diverse. Um One of our group members, Jen, said that I like the diversity and I love the interpersonal play. There was a lot going on with each relationship, both sexual and non-sexual, and they were really very honest and felt true to life. And I thought that was spot on because we're all around the world and all these different storylines and they're actually very different. And they're both in art and in writing. Totally. Yeah. Totally. No, that was one of those art... Each of the characters... Sorry, Sorry, that that was one of those art beats that I really liked was after... Jen comes out as trans to mm-hmm. Chang Lei, and you watch his face yes. as he processes it, and it's it's beautiful to watch because mm-hmm. you can tell like what thoughts are going through his head in each panel. Right, and it'd be so easy. You see this all in time in comics, where then you get your little um, oh, not dialogue box, the other one. What do we call these again, Mike? bubbles like thought bubbles or captions yeah caption bubble essentially where then you have the thoughts in the caption bubble you know what i mean and instead oh, yeah. the art is so perfect bubbles yeah the art is so perfect that you don't even need those to know what's going on in his head and in her or her head i mean like her face she's so scared of his reaction and mm-hmm. essentially nervous and guarded not even scared it's more very guarded like okay here's where you reject me kind of thing and yet you don't yeah yeah, it it was very beautifully done, and then of course they get killed, and I'm just like, what? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. my favorites. <laughs> so we'll see. I purposely waited to pick up volume two, which is now out, um, until after discussing this with you guys, so I don't mix them up in my head. But I'm anxious to see what's happened um, and where this goes from I, there. I do think it is kind of telling that the only characters that like we watched get brutally murdered were the <laughs> lgbtq characters i yeah, i don't know that's... if that was done on purpose but i definitely don't think it was a complete accident either yeah well, I, and don't... I think that might have been co- that might be commentary on the story though right in the story well yeah because... it certainly has something to do with like the, what the story is trying to say about china's handling of the trees yeah yeah and I don't think that it was Warren Ellis trying to be like attacked. No, no, no. I, I, I don't think that was it either. <laughs> but I do think that there is a social like because it, it's the same like the trope of the dead lesbian in TV right. or movies, where sure. if you have a lesbian character, she will die at some point. Yeah, like it's like mm-hmm. the black cop; they're going to be the one to die always. So yeah, yeah. There's, there's a certain expectation in American media that. LGBTQ storylines will not end happily, and yep. this one is no right. exception. Right? Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I, I guess I can see the decision from a. It makes sense with the political stuff in China. That whole storyline then is building up towards essentially they're cleansing, if you will, the what they consider the riffraff that's built up around that area, um, or the experiment, which is what they kept calling it. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the other side is that is definitely the most heartwarming story. The story that I feel like most people resonates with most people the most, um, relationship wise. And so it's going to be the biggest punch in the gut when you see it go down, go south. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And it did, man. I like gasped out loud. My dad's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, my babies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 And, I, and I'm certainly not trying to make accusations of homophobia or transphobia. Oh, no, but you're right. Like yeah. But. Even when that's not intentional, when that's the norm, you have to stop here and ask yourself as a writer, like, is there another way I could achieve this without falling into this rut? Even if it's that's not, you know what I mean? Even if you're not doing it out of nefarious purposes, you know, you have yeah. to stop and think, is there a, a different way I could do this? And if so, then do it that way. If not, obviously tell yeah. your story. If, but If the writer is even aware that the trope exists, because I mean, a lot of this yeah. stuff, you don't notice it until somebody points it out to you. Like, right. Yeah. Right. I did like how character focused this book was on a book where it, it made it much different than any other alien invasion books where the focus is very much on the aliens um, where this one is very, very character-focused on the humans. Um, Jamie from the group commented that every spoken detail about them, uh, the trees, is rationed enough that the focus of the book becomes the characters. And I hadn't thought about it until he said that, but it's very true that I think part of the reason Ellis tells us so little about the trees is that then you have to focus on the characters and their reactions to them instead of the trees itself. You're not yeah. getting much information and therefore the focus becomes the characters in their own beliefs which of course is different for the different regions and what they're thinking and feeling about them right uh even when you were finding out things about the trees such as in the arctic right you know we were learning about the flowers that wasn't about the flowers it wasn't about the trees at all right. it yeah. was it was about this scientist and it was about like the way he works with people and how he treats others and how the other scientists feel around him and working with him and how he's an asshole and how he doesn't <laughs> do his job well you know and and that like the focus should have been on the trees we need to figure this out but instead it was about him which i thought was so funny because despite this massive thing, these giant trees that have landed on Earth and no one knows what to do and everyone should be concerned about them, there's, people are still focused on their interpersonal relationships um, despite the findings. You know, they're like, you, you had all this information and you didn't tell, until, tell any of us about, about it? Like, they weren't even mad that he had what he had found. They were just mad that he didn't tell them. Right, exactly. Yeah. That was such an interesting way to tell that story. It's like, oh, you were saving this all for yourself, all the glory for yourself. It's like, this is like the biggest development in the book about the trees, and it's completely relationship told. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Between him and yeah. his colleagues. Yeah. Which is just brilliant, I think, on Ellis's part. And I also think this whole thing about people being more caught up in their own lives than in solving the bigger problem is also a very... Um, good commentary on the way that we really do work when things aren't don't feel like an immediate threat when it's something that yeah. could happen and so instead of something that's happening I mean look at how we deal with you know climate change and other like the imminent threat but not you know with earthquakes in California it's like okay this is definitely going to happen and it's definitely going to be bad what are we doing you know kind oh, of yeah. people end up bickering among yeah bickering among their ordinances and different you know different people making different regulations and this and that. And it's just like, this is exactly what happens when things are, you know, sitting there kind of ominous over your head, but there's not a date when it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And I think so, that they could only pull that off because they set this 10 years after the trees land. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Humans have this uncanny ability to adjust to anything, which yes. has always been, you know, our greatest survival asset. You know, if it's too cold, we make warmer clothes if there are giant tree alien robot things <laughs> looming over your head eh, you get used to living in the shade <laughs> yeah <laughs> one thing that i thought was really interesting about that was the mention from the professor saying that you know i've been watching these trees for 10 years and over the 10 years i'm starting to actually see the top of the one here in italy like he he's saying that there is something happening but right. it's, so, it's slow so slow that none of us notice like is it and burrowing that, into the ground or what's yeah. And what's interesting is I think that might actually be a commentary on climate change. Like, right. th this is happening so slowly and no one seems to notice it in the micro, but in the macro sense, like, it is a major problem if you look at data over a long period of time. Well, even be within people's lifespans, and, but it's one of these, like, oh, when I was a little girl for older people, you know what I mean? So, yeah, ex that's a very, very true. And I wonder if that was very intentional on his part or if that's... Uh Happens. I'm sure. I, I bet I'm sure it, it's knowing him. I bet it's intentional. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. 
Jen said from the group said she, that she was disappointed that more didn't happen with the actual trees. And I'm wondering, Brian, if that's part of your gripe with the book. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's certainly part of it. My, my, the, the two biggest draws to any story like this for me are going to be the characters and then that central mystery of what's going on. And I got a lot of good characters that were then snatched away from me at the end. <laughs> And I yeah. wasn't given anything about what's going on with this mystery. And so I, I certainly wouldn't spend any more money trying to find out at this point. If my fiance hadn't already bought volume two, she did. So <laughs> I'm probably going to read it at some point because yeah. it's free and in my home. I literally just have to go over to a bookshelf. <laughs> right. I, it's, it's tough for me to articulate the thoughts that I'm having about it. Just because like, I want to know what's happening with these trees but I'm not sure if I want to know that badly. Is it just happening too slowly for you? You know, the getting dripped out too slowly? I think a big part story? of it is the way we jump between the different stories so okay. frequently and after so little development. That made it, it really made it really hard for me to keep track in each arc or each, each location what was happening mm-hmm. when we would go from... You know, Italy to Africa to China to the Arctic to Italy to the Arctic to China. I'm just yeah, yeah. I, I, That's I, where I would have gotten lost in singles. I yeah. couldn't have kept up. Totally. A big problem totally. for me is I lost track of the passage of time. The only way that I knew how much time had passed in the book was in 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 Shu. At some point, somebody remarks that they were expecting this kid a week ago when he shows up. Um. If it weren't for that, I would assume that months had passed in this book, mostly due to the Italy storyline. Right. Because I felt like that character went from the mafioso's verbally abused significant other to killing him and taking over his gang. Yeah, (laughs) that was a pretty drastic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that, that was that seemed like a big jump. And part of me wonders if these storylines aren't being told in different time lengths or different lengths of time. Like I think the like the story with Somalia happened over many months, right? Like there's the interview with the guy from France, I believe, and then there's the ultimate like we're going to take over Puntland, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, I think that has to happen over a long period of time. I don't think that that's ha- something that happened in a week. Yeah, but right? there's and no indication the, of that. Yeah, and there's no indication, but I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily... For me, that wasn't a problem. I think it's like you're seeing all these events culminating, I think, at the same time, but their origins started earlier or at different spots, right? So the, you know, our, our character ends up at Shu. And he's there for a week, and then you know the big bad thing happens. the The story in Italy tra- happens probably over two or three months because the you know the girl or the woman she was training for right a while to to end up being able to kill people and use a knife effectively. And the story in Somalia happens over an even longer time um, because we're seeing you know this guy he has this interview. He's talking about you know growing his power and then he finally does it um and those types of things just they don't happen overnight in government so it's it's a lot of like time has to pass they have to work with the russians they have to figure out how they're going to get up on the tree all this different stuff and the story in new york is happening over the longest timeline i think where at the beginning we see this 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 awful fallout where the waste is being dispersed from the trees killing all the people and then finally at the end they see the puntland story come to a climax and they hear about what happens in china all at the same time i think all of the major climaxes of the story happen simultaneously but they all have their origins at different times in the past that was how i read it as well yeah and that's i guess that's how i read it which didn't bother me so much because they all came to fruition at the same time yeah it's just one of those things where it's it's where i'm approaching the story from Um, totally totally you know i i think that if you're going to do something like that in a medium like this where there's no like you need to have like i don't know like draw the character like in a different style of clothing at least or like give him a beard like right give a visual indication of time passing yeah. yeah. you don't even yeah. have to say yeah. you know like put a date stamp on every page but yeah yeah you yeah. can't assume that your audience is going to follow you 
in a non in a nonlinear chronology. True. Yeah, you can True. even do things like um, George R. R. Martin does at the beginning of his books, where it, like the disclaimer at the beginning, like some of these happen at the same time and they're not in chronological order because that's wouldn't make for a very good story. Um, <laughs> so for the different sections of his books, you know, so yeah, I, maybe and- a disclaimer like that would have worked well at the very beginning. And yeah, or even if like we had gotten each of these stories independently of each other, that would have worked out because that's kind of how Game of Thrones works too, is it jumps around in time, but it does so 30 or 40 pages at a time. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's much bigger yeah. chunks. So ultimately, I think the question here is, one, are you going to read volume two? And Brian, I think we kind of already have your answer. And two... Does this make you like or dislike Warren Ellis slash Jason Howard as creators? I mean, that's like the final sum up, right? <laughs> so, Kate, I'll ask you first, you know, or do you think you'll read volume two of this book? I am definitely reading volume two. I, uh, you know, the relatives who always ask you for a gift idea kind of thing. I threw this out there to multiple people, so I'm hoping that happens. Four or five copies? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> if that happens, then regifting might be a thing. But um, Gotcha. That that is unlikely. Anyway, um, especially since this feels like one of the books that you'd only find at a comic shop instead of like a Barnes and Noble, like you can find some graphic novels at, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I'm hoping that happens. Otherwise, I'm just going to pick it up for myself because yeah, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if this completely sell, sells me on Ellis because I feel like for me his stuff can be a little hit or miss. Like Brian was saying, he has a problem with uh, telling instead of showing in comics. That was based largely off this book, because I have no other frame of reference for Warren Ellis. Okay, I've never been well, a huge I've found fan that or followed in some his, of his work, other but... stuff. Yeah, he did Injection though too, didn't he? Yes, that's yeah. his big book right now. Yeah, I liked Volume One of that as well. And b- both of these, I don't. Is this his normal speed? Because that's also a very slow burn book. He, as a writer, I can say, having read a bunch of his work, has slowed down his pacing drastically over the years. I think his earlier works, like, I think his Transmetropolitan, which I think is probably his biggest book that he's ever done, um, has a much faster pace. And if you're into cool, crazy gonzo journalism, in-your-face, wacky shit, that's a fun book. Or Um, or if you're still in high school, that's a great book. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what I read, Um, and I loved it. Yeah, it's... And it's very, I think it's a much faster pace in comparison. Um, but, the, you know, we're also looking at, you know, almost 10, 10 or 15 years of difference in a writer. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. you know, things it's, change. Well, and he, you know, I would assuming matured um, both as a writer and just in general as a human. And that tends to make people less uh, trigger happy with their writing. Right. Um, and I I will say Warren, I say Warren, I say Ellis, I think also has, um, he's started to write more prose and more short stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, and I think that's translated over into his comics work. Mm-hmm. Um, since he's more focused on writing prose now than he is on comics, when he does write comics, they have kind of the same uh, sort of build in terms of pacing. Yeah. And his his prose books are totally slower paced and in a good way like i think that works really well in prose whereas in comics maybe not so much specifically with serialized comics. yeah i was gonna say i love the pacing and injection and trees it works really well for me i really like this very cerebral build-up um i would not recommend or purchase either one in single issues and both of them i'm looking for volume two like i enjoyed it enough to keep going and i have recommended trees volume one now to several people like i really liked it i would never pick this up in single issues Uh, that's (laughs) funny you should bring up injection because i did buy issue number one of that and yeah that's another one where i had no you would know nothing from issue one yeah (laughs) Yeah. Oh, issue one is such a such a risky buy if you're if you're trying to sell someone because yeah. this is so good and they're like, why? You're like, because so much wasn't told, and it's like, wait, what? That's not an answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I know Warren Ellis and I know he's good for it. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's not a good sell for some people. No, I think that's not a good sell for me. Right. I, I'm incredibly biased. I mean, Brian, you know, I know you said you might read volume two, but like. Um, what is drawing you to volume two if you want to continue? If I'm gonna be, if I'm gonna read it, it's just gonna be to find out what the hell is going on with these trees. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to know. I'm so fascinated by the idea of them being completely indifferent to humanity. Um, that that's such a novel take on 
an extraterrestrial presence, I guess. Because in, mm-hmm. in, in almost all sci-fi, the aliens are either here to kill us or to act as some kind of intergalactic saviors or something. Mm-hmm. And this, they're just here. like Yeah, they always recognize that we are sentient, sentient beings. And in this, they're like, you're just another, you know, ant on the planet under their foot, you know, mm-hmm. so... Well, I'm, I'm I'm terribly biased. I I read this book in single issues. I'm probably gonna reread it all in trade. Like I'm just a sucker, so I really can't say much. But I will say one other thing: if you are looking for more Jason Howard, um, specifically with Warren Ellis, uh, before they did Trees, and I think this is what grew their relationship to do Trees, uh, they did an online comic that was free, and it is still free, called The Scatterlands. And so if you want to see another really interesting, kind of slow-paced, but just very out-there, weird sci-fi story, um, they, I think they did like 26 little single panel every single day that tells a full story, or full enough story. Um, it's called The Scatterlands. It's at scatterlands.com. I'll post a link in the um, show notes for it. But that was really cool, and like I said, I think it was because of that they ended up doing this book, because I think Ellis really enjoyed working with Jason Howard. And Jason Howard also did work with Robert Kirkman before. He -hmm. worked on a book called Astounding Wolfman. Yes. Which was a book that was in the Invincible universe. If you've ever read Invincible, they actually did a crossover issue. Um, And they all take place, and Astounding Wolfman now shows up in in various Invincible storylines every once in a while. But Astounding Wolfman is a book on its own was absolutely brilliant and i loved it i know you read it brian yeah i actually <laughs> I just found eager. i just found out where my uh my issue my trade number one of that is very After nice. I lost it for years so <laughs> yeah i i own all of that book in single issues and i absolutely adored it when it came out it's such a fantastic just little superhero story that's like not truly a superhero story it's very tragic um but you can definitely see howard's evolution as an artist if you read that to reading trees oh, absolutely it's, yeah it's like night and day the guy has grown tremendously since starting that book and really the art style is completely different i think there was more heavy pencil and ink work done in trees in comparison uh-huh. to wolfman mm-hmm. where in wolfman it's very cartoony very superhero-y it's bright colors and jumpsuits and and things are much clearer yeah whereas in trees it's a lot of very intricate detail i think the the, the only big tell that it's even the same artist is the way he draws faces yes <laughs> i was just, i was just going to say that yeah so i'm looking I'm looking at Scatterlands. Is the landing page for Scatterlands.com, is that when you just pull up the that thing, is that the first uh, panel? Or is that I the last? Because it last says panel. it says 25, so I'm a little worried that I'm starting at the end. Yeah, I think it is the last panel. I think okay. it follows the webcomic style thing where the la- most recent issues on the homepage, and you actually have to click oh, first gotcha. to go back. And it's a Tumblr, so it should be pretty easy to navigate. Yeah. It's a fun. It's a fun little story, though. I, I was happy to get it for free, you know, and it's one of those things where you, these creators are just putting this thing out for free, and I believe that either through Image or through Avatar, I can't remember which one, they actually did publish this as a, a small little novella that you could get and put on your shelves, and it looks That's beautiful. Cool. I've seen it in a book sh- bookstore. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the f- panel right now. It's gorgeous, and it does remind me of Trees. Yeah, it's very similar to the style of Trees. So if you'd like Jason Howard's art in this, if you want more, there's that book, as well as the second and eventual third trade of the story. But overall, I mean, hey, th- this is this Goodreads thing I'm absolutely loving. I want to say this on air. I'm I'm very happy to be able to focus on a book without having to do a mini-sode. And I think this, like, meshes the two worlds. So I hope you listeners out there have been enjoying it. Because it's it's been a kick a kick in the in the butt to actually sit down and read a book and talk about it with people because we don't we don't do that enough on this show we don't have a lot in common as readers um, too too often so this has been a lot of fun yeah yeah and I'll also say even though we're not talking about um, December's book of the month on on the show uh, the discussion is going strong uh, so definitely join the group if you're not there already December is monstrous volume one which is yeah. A, a very interesting book, whether or not you like it. So there's lots to say one way or the other. Going into it pretty biased already. So let's. Oh uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have my thoughts, and, and like this month I can actually comment on them because usually we try to res- you know resist from actually commenting in the forum before we have the episode. But this month I get to just scream and yell on the internet with. People. I was supposed to resist because <laughs> I totally didn't. I basically said. I know, Kate. You're the exception. It's okay. okay. It's okay. okay. Good. 
<laughs> I'll, I'll try to think of some reason to come in and take a dump on everybody's fun on this book. Too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Oh. Thanks. Every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited Brian. <laughs> Brian. Brian is our party's dedicated pooper. <laughs> I am the designated pooper. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks to Brian Murray and Kate Scotchless. The music in this episode is brought to you by Infinity Shred. You can find more of Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and with each rating you give lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. Or if you're just looking to say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature on the show, such as this episode, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. If you want your thoughts on the book we're reading to be read on the show, make sure to join our group and comment. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode in our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back-issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit us at our website, ircb.us. Now until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening. <laughs>